Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Judges chapter 6. <laughs> I was so distracted in the first service, I told them to turn to Luke. And I'm like, I pulled it open, I'm like, I'm not using Luke at all today. And I've got him in Luke over here. So anyway, Judges is the seventh book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. And so Judges chapter 6, you know, as we talk, we, as, this will be one of the longest series we've ever done. I didn't say long, one of the longest sermons, so you can relax. One of the longest series we've ever done. And so, and talking about hearing God's voice. And again, as I've said before, Christians kind of have their own lingo, kind of their own vocabulary. And so if you've been a Christian for a while, been raised around church, when I say that, it doesn't wig you out. But if you're kind of new to this, or you're still kind of checking it out. When I say, you know, we want to hear God's voice, you may be like, so I'm going to be hearing voices. Yeah, that's not, that's not really what I'm talking about. And so I can see why that would be a little scary to you. Just kind of hang in here as we explain how God speaks to us. He wants a relationship with us. He, he wants us to walk with him and to hear him and to respond to his voice and for us to talk to him and, and all of those things. But for the first few weeks, I've wanted to talk about things that are a distraction from his voice. And so last week, I talked about fear, how fear can distract us from whatever it is that God is trying to say in our life. And, and this week, I want to talk about, you know, the fact that either our past or our pedigree. And when I say pedigree, what I mean by that is, is where we're from, the circumstances we were born into, kind of the, the culture we were raised and what we came out of and all those things can have an impact on how we see ourselves and what we believe God has for us. And so we're going to look at a guy today named Gideon. And Gideon was an incredible guy from this standpoint that he was, he was afraid, he was hiding. His people were being overwhelmed by some people called the Midianites. And so he has all this going on. So in Judges chapter 6, Let's start with verse 11. It says this, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide. Everybody say hide. hide. To hide the grain from the Midianites. So he was, he was hiding. He was in this wine press. There was kind of this thing that was around, and he was, he was hiding in it, hoping that nobody would see him. And he was doing work. He was... A, he was afraid of the Midianites. He was afraid of what would take place and, you know, just not in favor, you know, just hated his circumstances. So it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero. Really? I mean, when, if you were there and we were just kind of observing, you may want to say to the angel, uh, I know this is kind of embarrassing for you, but like this guy's threshing weed in a wine press. I think you got the wrong guy. I think the mighty hero is probably, he's probably at a different location. This, this guy doesn't look like a mighty hero to me. And it, it was what God, got, the message that God had for him began with that. A recognition of who he was called to be. A recognition connected with his purpose, even though in this moment he wasn't living it at all. Mighty hero. And he, he goes on to say, he said, the Lord is with you. Sir, getting replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned. Everybody say abandoned. abandoned. The Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Have you ever felt that way? When you're in the middle of a really hard place? That it feels like the Lord's abandoned you? Or, or maybe you look at your past and, you know, maybe some decisions that you made personally that were such mistakes were so wrong. It was just, you know, whether it was sin or something else, you look back at almost some shame and like, I can't believe that I would do that. Surely God, you know, he was not, a, you know, he had kind of abandoned me there. 
or, or maybe things that were done to you. And they were so painful that you're like, if you were there, how could you let that happen? To have that feeling of being abandoned. I mean, that's different than him just not being there at all, right? I mean, to be abandoned means that he was there. And when the going got tough or things were unacceptable or you weren't your prettiest or at your best, that he just left you. Some of you have in reality been abandoned by people. And that's painful, but it's really painful when you think that God's abandoned you. And Gideon was like, man, if the Lord's with me, why did he abandon us? Why did he just leave us to this? And I know some of you have felt that way. Some of you may feel that way now. With what you're going through, you, you could feel abandoned by God, man. It's, it's a horrible feeling. And that's probably one of the reasons why the Lord started out with the Lord's with you, because he was aware of the conversations that Gideon had not just had with other people, but the ones he had in his mind. You've had those, right, those conversations in your mind where you're like, I guess God's just abandoned me. I mean, I'm just kind of here on my own, just kind of going through my own thing. But Gideon felt that, you know, he believed that God had abandoned him in his peace. He's with us? Really? He's with us? Then why has he abandoned us? And you can feel that way when you think about your past. When you think about things that you've done, things that have been done to you, your circumstances, these, you can feel like you're in a hole that you can't climb out of or make your way out of. It feels so overwhelming that you can feel like you're in there alone. I mean, alone, nobody, including God being with you. And you have that feeling and, and it's just, it's one of those things that, that it blocks out God's voice that, that Gideon wasn't even in a position when an angel appeared to him and began to speak to him personally and called him a mighty hero and said that God is with you. The voice from his past was so loud and so distracting that even God revealing his purpose in such a spectacular way to Gideon, it still wasn't enough because the voice that was the loudest in Gideon's life was his past. And man, when we get to that point, that's a horrible place to be, for that to be the loudest thing in our life. You know, it just... It just affects everything that we do. And, and so, you know, when we've made wrong decisions, then sometimes the, our motives can be so wrong. You know, I know people that, that you know, that they had a, a broken place in their life and they felt like they could have done better parenting. And then they, they give their life to Jesus or they reconnect with him and receive their forgiveness. But the problem is, is that because the voice of their past is so loud that they let guilt be their main motivator in how they parent their kids instead of receiving the grace of God and forgiveness and letting their love for God and their love for their kids be the things that motivates them. Guilt seems so worthy because we feel bad, but it's never for the best interest. It's guilt. Other times when, we, when it wasn't us that did the hurting, but we've been hurt. A real sense of entitlement justification and how we treat somebody, entitlement for what we should get and what we should have. And we forget to be grateful. It's such a powerful thing in our life. So if you're taking notes, number one is this, is that the voice of the pain from our past can cause us to feel abandoned by God. The voice of the pain from our past can cause us to feel abandoned by God. And so it distracts us. It drowns out his voice. Let's keep reading as we move on to number two here. In verse 14 it says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. 
But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So Gideon was like, I can't do this. Do you know whose family I'm from and and who I'm a part of? Do you know what my pedigree is, where I came from? Nobody's going to listen to me. I don't belong there. And sometimes when we look at our circumstances in which we were born in, in which we were brought into this world, or, or how we were brought up, or where we were raised at, and we compare our lives with the lives of other people and think, well, there's no way I could be that person. There's no way that God could use me because this, this is where I came from. And, and we let it disqualify us. I've shared this story before, but um, you know, and, and you, you know, most of you have been here any period of time, you kind of know my upbringing. And I didn't have a bad childhood. I mean, you know, my, my parents loved me. They weren't perfect, but they loved me. I, so, I mean, you know, I had everything I needed. I, you know, I had clothes, I had food, uh, you know, we had a roof overhead, we had transportation, gas in the tanks. So we had the things that we needed. You know, my, my dad, he worked most of his life, he was a steel worker. He worked at Oklahoma Steel Castings for uh, the majority of his work life. And he was a hard worker. He'd come out of that place, man, he'd be covered just in dirt and soot and all, all sorts of stuff. He was there. My mom, she worked at, she did payroll at a place that one time was Fran Filters, later became Facet. And so they both had jobs, you know, they did those in order to, you know, to make sure that we had enough as a family. And they didn't make a ton of money, but again, enough to kind of pay our stuff, but that's kind of who we were. And one story I've shared with you before is that I remember that when I was like 12 or 13, a friend of mine had went and played golf. And it was just so wild to me that I knew somebody that played golf because, in, you know, in my mind, this lid that I had over my mind back then that only, only people with a lot of money played golf. And so, you know, I mean, you know, kids of steel workers didn't play golf. You know, I mean, just, just, you know, we make caddy or, you know, that kind of thing. We don't play golf. And so, <laughs> so I remember telling her about this, and this is really going to date me, all right? But she got out the SNH Green Stamp catalog. How many of you remember that? Yeah? Yeah. You guys are old too. So anyway... Um, so she got that out and she began to thumb through the book. And, and I never told her this. I didn't know how to process this as a 12 or 13 year old. But I just remember sitting there thinking, we're looking for golf clubs. And she's thumbing through the book. And she finds a pair of golf clubs and, uh, that they had. And, you know, they were Spalding. And I didn't know that Spalding wasn't exactly the top name in golf clubs. But they were new golf clubs. And it was a one and a three wood and a three, five, seven, and nine iron and a putter. And I didn't know that was like half a set, but it was golf clubs. And had a bag. So I remember she gathered up all her catalogs. And she went and bought me those golf clubs. And I remember going up to the golf course for the very first time thinking, I'm playing golf and I'm not rich. And wondering, you know, kind of pushing through that barrier that I, nobody else had set it up for me. I just placed it up in my mind that I didn't belong there. And so many times we can have these self-imposed lids, these self-imposed barriers that nobody's ever told us. My parents never said that to me. Matter of fact, my mom was the one that lifted the lid off of me. We just have those. And, and I remember, you know, as I, as I got older and just kind of began to enter adulthood, I like serving, I like connecting and that type of thing. And I was satisfied doing that. But there was kind of this dissatisfaction in me knowing that I, I may have a call to like speak and to preach. And, and so that was there. And, and just, but, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't pursue anything. I wasn't self-promoting or whatever. And so just kind of had to wait. And I was like, well, because I know who I am, this is never going to happen. Nobody's going to come ask me. But lo and behold, you know, I began to pray and God made a way. And and I remember that I'd been doing ministry for a year or two in New Mexico, and we'd went to a conference. And that was back at the time where on, on Sundays on church, you know, you'd wear suits, suit coats, and stuff like that. Thank God those days are over at Cedar Point. But anyway, 
And so in conferences, you would do that too. Well, I had two suit coats, two. I had a thin one and I had a thick one. And you say, do you know why one was thin and one was thick? Not at the time. I just knew one was thin and one was thick. Well, why did you buy that? Because it was probably the cheap one, the one that I could afford. And so I remember we went to this conference. And, um, and the first hour, it was July, and it was, it was so stinking hot. Uh, and I remember wearing my thin jacket and just kind of walking around and got, you know, shoes that, uh, you know, nobody would invite me to a a black tie affair in. And so, um, so I'm walking around that type of thing and everything was good. And the next day I show up and I got my thick coat on. And I remember this, this pastor that I'd, I'd just been introduced to him not very long. He, he comes up, man, he had every hair in place. And, and I did too. They were just not in the same place. And so, um, <laughs> and then, you know, he, he was dressed, just had this nice suit on and this nice tie. And he just looked sharp. And that's okay. I mean, there's not anything wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not trying to make any of that. But he came up to me and he goes, why do you have a winter coat on? It's July. And um, in my mind, the steel worker part of me wanted to get up and teach him a lesson real good. And so, um, <laughs> but I thought they'll probably frown on that at a minister's convention. So, so I just kind of sit there for a minute. I was really kind of hurt and wounded because it was one of those things that said to me, you don't belong here. You ever had that moment? Well, all you're trying to do is just do what God wants you to do and kind of follow that place. And then you have an event takes place where somebody does something and their brokenness and their ignorance, he was stupid. And so it was one of those things that just kind of in that moment where it just, that, that thing that you've dealt with that said you don't belong, then you have somebody that comes up and in their own brokenness confirms that in you. And finally, after I kind of gathered myself and the anger, the hurt, the embarrassment, and tried not to show any of that because I didn't want him to think that he'd gotten the best of me. And finally looked at him and said, well, this is all I got. I got two jackets. I don't have winter jackets and summer jackets. I got two. And this conference is three days, so tomorrow you're going to see my summer jacket. And my insecurity, that thing that said you don't belong was just reaffirmed. I was fortunate I worked for a guy that was just really good when, when he, he kind of heard about that, saw that happened. He was so mad. He's like, he said, what you have is good. He said, but he said, I, I know this place has really, I'm going to buy you a suit. So he took me and I thought, what a great response. But sometimes, man, our pedigree, you know, Gideon, he thought about where he came from. And that said to him, God's got the wrong person. You know, sometimes God puts dreams in your heart. And they require you to do things and to go places that are unfamiliar with you. Places that you felt left out at. Places that you didn't feel like you belonged in. And maybe that we have to be reminded, just like he told, like Gideon was told here, the Lord's with you. That door isn't open because of the pedigree of your past confirms who you are. That door is open because God has taken who you are in your past, whether it's from a place of brokenness or whether it's from a place of just, you know, just seeming, feeling inadequate culturally or whatever, that you're not qualified because of any of those things. You're qualified because the Lord is with you.
He's with you. You have to say that over and over again. I've, the calling of God has taken me to places that at times my head has told me, you don't belong here. This isn't you, it's how you grew up. And I have to remind myself the Lord is with me. And he'll help me to know what to say and he'll use me. And over and over again, as he's helped me work through that insecurity, through that part of just feeling like I'm out of place, that he's helped me work through that and overcome and caused me not to give up and quit. Because the easy thing in that moment is to bind to that lie and say, well, I really don't belong here, and then just leave. I don't belong in church. I don't belong in that ministry. I don't belong in that thing. And just leave and give up. The Lord's with you. He's with you. The only reason why you feel like you don't belong there is because you haven't been there. And the Spirit of God will lead you to places that you haven't been before. To open up doors that you haven't walked through before. Because he has a plan for you that you haven't lived before. He's with you. He's with you. Number two is this. If you're taking notes, and that is the voice of our beginnings can cause us to feel disqualified. Can cause us to feel like we don't belong. Instead of hearing the voice of God that says, the Lord's with you, I have something for you. The Lord's with you. So, so Gideon has this encounter, and, and that is in him so much that his insecurity just keeps struggling with what he's being told. And so over and over again in this conversation, he says, well, God, if you're really with me, then do this. And God, if you're really with me, then do that. And sometimes people read this, well, I'm going to do that to God. You're in the New Testament. Don't do that. You have the Spirit of God on the inside of you if you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit leads you. But he was doing that. And so eventually, he gets right to the point where he's ready. So God says, okay, begin to go on your way. And then finally God says to him, hey, look, man, you got too many people with you. If you win the battle now, they're going to take credit for it. And that's not what this is about. God wants to reveal himself and his goodness and that he hasn't abandoned them. And so he says, you got to get rid of them. Tell any of them that are afraid that they can go home. Thousands left. If we're scared we can go, deuces, I'm out of here. See you later. You know, it's kind of like, I want to go. And so, and God said, there's still too many. And so he said, I want you to take them to this water. And those that are kind of unaware, inattentive, that kind of bury their face in it, send them home. Those that drink with their face up, kind of aware of their surroundings, they know what they're here for, keep them. When that was all that was left, there was like 300 of these people with Gideon getting ready to go fight tens of thousands of people. So we're going to pick up on that in chapter 7, verse uh, 7. It says this, the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Mennonites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night the Lord said, get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged, and then you will be eager to attack. So God was like, man, you're ready. You got everybody. Yeah, but God, I got 300 people. Well, if you're still afraid, go down and just sneak down into their camp and hear what they're saying about you. And he said, take Pura with you. And he goes, okay. So it says this, so Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. You know what it means? There was like 
a stinking whole lot of people down there. And he's got 300. It says they were like a swarm of locusts. And then it says this. It says their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. If I'm getting I'm like, so this is supposed to encourage me? You know, I mean, that's what's happening here. So, but then this happens. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite victory over Midian and all its allies. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed and worshiped before the Lord. You know, what's wild is, is that, do you remember Gideon's first response when God said, mighty hero, and God's with you, go in your strength. And the whole time, there was never an act of worship, it was just resistance. If God's with us, why has this happened to us? Where are all the miracles we've heard about? Where is his hand moving? Where, where, where have we seen it? And man, sometimes we don't see God move like we think we should. We think that he's abandoned us or forgotten us. And it can cause us to withdraw. And if we're going to be really honest about it, even be angry with God a little bit. But his presence is there. And sometimes those things happen. I don't always know the answer to them. But I know this, your story's not over yet. Gideon's story wasn't over yet. Up to this time, he was, his story was that his family was the least. His story was that he really hadn't seen God's hand move in any of these things. And God's showing up and saying, I've got a plan that's not just going to impact you, but it's going to impact those around you. And after all this, he finally reaches a moment that when God tells him that, he bows in worship. But he doesn't bow in worship as the guy that's looking at his past and how broken, lost, and abandoned he felt. He's not a guy... That he's not worshiping as a guy that felt disqualified because of who his family was. He's a guy that's worshiping that for the first time in his life, he's embraced the purpose that God has given. And he doesn't see see himself through the eyes of his past mistakes, what's been done to him, and who he is. He sees himself through the eyes of God. They didn't call him a broken person. They called him a mighty hero. And that's how he worshiped him there. It was different worship. He no longer heard his future through his past. He heard it through the voice of God's purpose, and it impacted the way he worshiped him. He goes on to say here, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. Before, this guy had hidden in a wine press, didn't want anybody to hear him, didn't want to work too loud where his enemies would know where he was, didn't want to do things in such a way that he would make noise so he could stay hidden. But all of a sudden, he was no longer seeing his life through the the eyes of his past, but he began to recognize God's voice as he began to declare to him his purpose, and he went out in this field, and he wasn't concerned about being quiet anymore or feeling disqualified anymore. He yelled, get up! God's going to deliver us and rescue us today. And here's the thing that happens is that when you see yourself through the eyes of God's purpose, instead of your past, you see his plan. You see his plan, what he has for you, who he's created you to be, who you're called to be, what you're called to do. Oh, Pastor Rick, I made mistakes. Me too. Pastor Rick, sometimes, you know, my, my past, I don't feel like I fit. Me too. You know, sometimes, you know, I've done some things that are really bad. I'm just, me too. People criticize me and they think I'm disqualified. Me too. 
But it becomes powerful when I no longer see my life. And I hear my purpose through my past. But I hear my purpose through God's voice who takes my brokenness and my mistakes and my sins and my failures and he gathers up all those pieces and I become a trophy of his grace. You become a trophy of his grace. That your brokenness, your past, your mistakes are not something that you run from, but you declare those publicly to let people know that you are who you are and you are where you are, not because you deserve it, not because you were qualified for it, but because of what Jesus has done for us and that he's made us worthy and qualified us for that. And so now we can declare what we used to whisper about ourselves, and that is God's got a plan for me. He has a purpose for me. So when you see yourself through the eyes of God's purpose instead of your past, you see his plan. The Lord's with you. He's with you. I want you to do this. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. And I want us to spend a moment with God. And for some of you, you have to begin to identify that voice that has been so loud that's had an impact on the way you see your future. And what you believe that God has for you. Just think about your mistakes and your failures. And so anytime that God whispers to your heart, I have this plan for you. Do what Gideon did and go, how can that be? I've done this. You've abandoned me. You've let this happen to me. Instead of trusting him. Even when we don't understand everything that's going on. To trust him. He's God. Trust his love for us. Trust his plan for us. Your story's not over. It's still being written. Trust him as you trust him. That as far as he's concerned, as far as people that know you're concerned, that you're no longer seen as a person that did all these dumb things, made all these mistakes, had all these happen to you, all these things happen to you, all these bad things happen to you. That you know, that you weren't brought up with, you know, the best or whatever, but you're a trophy of his grace. And you're no longer listening to the voice of your past. But you begin to hear God's voice clearly. And through all of the static, he begins to reveal your purpose. And your life becomes clear. And it makes you grateful because you know you. You know your past. You know what you're worthy of and what you're not. But it's not about that. It's about his grace and who Jesus is. Let's just spend a moment with God.